When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Alice Living, best-selling author, personal trainer, and host of Give Me Strength, where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally with the hope to inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. My guest today is Roxy Nafusi, who is a self-development coach, manifesting expert, best-selling author, and ambassador for the Mental Health Foundation. After years of living a hedonistic lifestyle in her early 20s, fueled by partying and poor self-care, Roxy found herself at rock bottom. Since then, she has gone on to share her journey of recovery, amassing a huge community of loyal followers, and has helped thousands of others to become more resilient beings, more able to fulfill their potential through the power of manifestation. Roxy, welcome. I am so happy we finally got to make this work. Um, I feel like I've wanted you on the podcast for so long. So I'm so excited to have you on. How are you doing today? Oh, thank you so much. That's so kind. I've been so excited to come on as well. And I'm good. I have to say that I did stalk your Instagram and I saw that you were at an event with Kate Moss herself this morning. So I was like, that's cool. (laughs) It was. It was Kate Moss and Deepak Chopra. And Deepak Chopra guided us through a meditation, which was incredible it was it was very cool yeah very very good <laughs> yeah. um yeah. can we trade so look <laughs> i i would love to go into so much today and i feel like you're someone who's had this kind of meteoric rise of success but i know that often when it appears like that often there's so much that goes on behind the scenes and years and years of hard work uh, you know plugging away to get to where you are so i guess my first place that i want to start is really by going back and i do this a lot on my podcast because i'm so fascinated by you know the foundations that make us who we are um and we know that our childhood can be you know something that both positively and negatively shapes the baggage that we then carry through to adulthood and shapes who we are so I'd love to hear about, you know, your early years, uh, who Roxy was when she was, you know, a little girl and, and, and how that, I guess, formed and helped to push you towards, you know, the journey that you've now been on. You know, when I look back at my kind of early years, I definitely don't look back with many fond memories, I would say. Uh, I found school in general really tough being Iraqi, growing up in Oxford. There was, I was absolutely subject to racism very early on, especially when the Iraqi war broke out. And um, there was a real propaganda campaign against all Muslims. And I came from a very devout Muslim family. And, you know, Islamophobia was rife. And so in those kind of years where I'm forming my self-worth and my identity, um, partnered with, you know, the fact that at home there wasn't this emotional safety, um, and I won't go into detail about it, but it was very hard for me to find any self-worth at this point. So I actually, uh, to the 
changed my name. I changed my name from Rowan to Roxy when I was 12, when I moved schools. And I think when I look back at that, I think, okay, yeah, I had really, really started to reject myself very early on. Like I really was ashamed of who I was. And um, that sense of shame, I think, really colored many of the years to follow. So I, you know, had disordered eating at school, um, then found drugs when I was 18. Um, and that kind of, you know, took me through until 28. And I was, you know, still on that journey trying to find going back to that pre, you know, youngest years, three-year-old me, you know, I would say three, four years old is when I had maybe had self-worth before it had, had gone really. So, yeah, it's been a journey, but those years, I think, you know, sometimes I look at people or I meet people who are just naturally very confident. And I'm always really fascinated by those kind of people. I would say that they are like natural manifestors and they all have in common this really stable childhood background. I mean, obviously everybody is no childhood is perfect, but they have this like emotional safety, the security, you know, the support system that really does influence them. So I would say that mine influenced me sort of in the other direction, but gave me so much resilience. And I'm so happy for every journey and everything I've been through, because of course I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today and, you know, hopefully help other people if I wasn't able to relate to them and understand them. Yeah. I'm, I'm so fascinated by the fact that you recognize in yourself that you kind of created this disconnect from your true identity at at quite a young age. And I think it's something that a lot of us can relate to. I know that that shift where we go to secondary school, you know, even for the happiest of kids can be a massive kind of life progression and can really come at you fast. And I I know in, even in myself that, you know, I went to a school when I was 12 for secondary school, got hideously bullied, left after a year, you know, went to a different school and, and really kind of went in at a point where all of the friendships were already formed. So I came in and thought, oh God, I need to establish myself. And I remember even at that age as well, sort of really trying to forge this identity and work out who I was. And, and I think that a lot of us, you know, as you said, can create this kind of disconnect from our true identity, maybe as a result of trauma, but also as a result of other things. And it's an interesting thing to, to see how that progresses into adulthood. You know, I don't know whether you now feel like you've come back to your true self, but it's interesting that I think a lot of us in some ways can create different versions of ourselves to please the, the company that we keep. And I wondered whether in your kind of manifestation journey, part of that was finding who you are again and whether that's part of the journey that you also take people on. I think that that is the most important journey of manifestation. Um, you know, I think when I look at my seven steps to manifesting, step two is to remove fear and doubt. And this is really looking at all the kind of limiting beliefs, insecurities, feelings of low self-worth that we've accumulated over decades. And it's understanding how we can uh, remove them, heal them, process them so that we can come back to our most empowered um, is you know, empowered selves, full of that self-belief and confidence that we have as very, very young children. And I would say that, you know, when I talk about manifestation, for me, it really is this self-development practice. And it's for this reason. It's so, its foundation is in healing and healing all our wounds. And it's been the greatest gift that manifesting has offered me on a personal level. Yeah, I think that's, you know, so interesting. And, And on that, I think that I guess my question to sort of further it is, 
how do we find our true selves? Like that's something that I'm fascinated by. I think that there's so much now around um, self-development and, um, you know, working on ourselves. But I guess, you know, even in my own pursuit of quote unquote, finding happiness and, and peace within myself, you do always have these moments where you're like, what is my identity? Who am I? Like, what do I stand for? And actually having the ability to be able to work out what those things are, is it can actually be really difficult. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I think we're so influenced by society, culture, you know, social media, the people around us, our peers, our parents, um, that it, it can take time to get rid of the noise of what other people expect us to be or want us to be and figure out just who we are authentically. But I also think the kind of journey back to yourself, like like happiness, isn't a destination. It's like you're constantly uncovering new layers of yourself. So for me, this kind of journey back to myself is really all about you know, a big part of it is about recognizing patterns and behavioral patterns. So for me, that's huge. So I am always trying to understand why do I react the way I react? Why do I perceive experiences in this way? What is informing that? What past trauma is, you know, dictating how I feel about myself and the world around me? And how can I change that? Or how can I heal that? So actually, I can view the world differently and view myself differently and then experience things differently. So it's almost like being curious about yourself rather than looking for definitive answers, just being curious about how you respond to, you know, each part, each stage of your life, I guess. I feel like I am constantly doing that. Like I'm so self-aware and very able to take ownership of some the behavior that maybe isn't healthy, that maybe doesn't have a positive effect on someone else that I feel could I could improve. And without judgment, you know, it's not about judging yourself and thinking, God, I wish I wasn't like that, but it's going, hey, okay, this is something about myself that perhaps I could develop, perhaps I could change. And that's growth. And I think this journey is about growing, growing into our most empowered uh, content, happier selves. Yeah, no, I think that's a brilliant way to put it to almost like develop that compassion and self curiosity rather than, you know, being like me and constantly just wanting answers there and then, <laughs> which can be hard. Now, look, I want us to sort of head back on the timeline a little bit because we, we've sort of, sort of talked about your childhood and, and going to school and you sort of describe living a hedonistic lifestyle in your 20s. And I think it'd be really helpful to understand this part of your life because I, I you know I've heard you talk about it on a couple of podcasts and I you know I've lived in London for over 10 years now and I see so much of that behavior normalized you know whether it's drugs it's drinking every weekend it's not sleeping it's partying hard it's um, you know living a very fast-paced lifestyle do you think to some extent we're still kind of glamorizing this I guess particularly when we see it you know in media uh, on social media and essentially, you know, setting people up for a lot of issues along the line because we're kind of showing this, you can have it all, you can party, you can do this and do that. Do you feel like, you know, that's a difficult place to, to, to put people in? And I guess from your own perspective as well, like how did you find that for you? Was it incredibly normalized when you were living it? Did you feel as though your experience was, I guess, one of many? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't know I feel like I'm so out of that circle now that I don't know, I can't say if people are still feeling like it's glamorized, but for sure, when I was, when I started taking drugs, I thought it was so cool. I thought I was like, you know, it was, 
that kind of era of heroin chic and you would see all these celebrities and it girls falling out of nightclubs like you don't get that now so much do you know what I mean I think it's different now now you know all the kind of it girls are like Gigi Hadid and Kendall Jenner and Bella Hadid and they're all into health and wellness and you know it's very different whereas for us are uh, the people we were kind of looking to as you know trendsetters lived a very different lifestyle and they did make it seem cool and all the movies and all the TV and everyone was smoking and I absolutely thought it was cool like for sure and as somebody that had kind of no self-worth I was also it was giving me this kind of false sense of confidence which was so addictive in itself Um, and you make all these strange connections because you know everybody is out at after parties and when people are high and on cocaine everyone is your best friend so you feel like you have like you know it's all these kind of false beliefs that you end up having you start feeling like you're connected to people when actually you wake up the next day and realize you're completely alone and all that shame comes back and but it is very hard to I think get out of the cycle because it becomes so normal and there's always someone worse than you So there's always someone that's like, oh, you're not that bad because so-and-so does it every day or you're not as bad as this person or you're not waking up and doing it. And I think that it can take a long time for people to recognize that they have a problem because of that. I think for me, you know, I first went to an NA meeting when I was 21 or 22, which is really young. So I think I kind of found Coke and then very quickly became addicted, like, I knew it was just, it went spiraled. And I think the friends, so someone in particular was like my best friend around me was like, I can't hang out with you anymore. Like this is, it's too fucking much. And I think that was the catalyst then, but I went in at 21 or 22, but you know, I didn't give up until I was 28. So there's another seven years there where I knew I had a problem, but then couldn't really find a way out of it and kept being sucked back in. And so for those seven years, it's not really fun anymore because you know you're you know you have a problem. So it just filled with shame and guilt and it's toxic. Yeah. And I and I think it's um I think it's just a fine line between fun and then something being a problem. And how did you find pretending that everything was okay? Because I'm guessing you had to like uphold a job, you had to still carry on, you know, kind of, I guess, doing the normal day-to-day life while also having this, you know, I guess, excessively hedonistic nightlife. So how did you find yourself, I guess, creating that sense of smoke and mirrors? I know a lot of people will feel that where they're almost like trying to live a double life. They're trying to do everything and be everything, basically. Party hard, work hard, um, you know, keep down a job, hold good relationships. How did you find yourself living almost a bit of a double life? Well, I actually didn't have a job. I, like, didn't work, really. I kind of – I actually would end up selling things. I, Instagram had just started, and I had, like, a relative – I had, like – I think it was – I had somehow made, like, 10,000 followers or something. But at the time, that was quite a lot. And I was in central London, and so, you know, brands would kind of send me stuff, and then I'd sell them, and, like, you know, it was – I, I kind of was just like I would I would try and write for magazines and and be like write you can I write for you for free and stuff but generally I really I wasn't working I wasn't really making any money for you know the whole of my twenties and um, 
I was very, very, very lonely. Like in the days I would spend, I could spend days not seeing another person because I was just on my own. So, but then obviously then when I would go out, it was so different. So it was, I wasn't able to do both, but at the time I was deeply depressed and unhappy, but also nobody was talking about mental health at this time. So on Instagram, I was still posting, you know, as if I was having this like great life. Um, but was like just in pieces. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, now, look, I always am so fascinated by the the rock bottom moment, the moment that's the catalyst for change. Um, we speak to a lot of people on this podcast who have developed an immense amount of resilience after hitting their rock bottom. And I think it's something that I guess is 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 almost why I started this podcast in the first place. So I'm really fascinated by that moment for you. What was the moment, you know, because I think a lot of people are, you know, almost needing that rock bottom moment to propel them into doing something wonderful, but they're just waiting, I guess, to feel at their worst, which is an awful way to be. So I'm fascinated by what yours was. What was that catalyst? And and, and I guess, how did it then propel you to to really where you are now, which is just so exceptionally successful and, and, and really having turned your life around? Oh, thank you. Um, so I had, obviously, like I said, I kept trying to get, I kept trying to give up drugs and then I would like it was just impossible so I was always on this kind of yo-yo but I had read this book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers which I don't know if you read it was one of my favorite books and it really is all about taking responsibility for your life and it was the first self-help book I read that I felt really started to make a difference and after this reading this book I went home and decided I'm going to book a yoga teacher training course and I'm going to turn my life around with yoga um, because yoga, I'd had a really bad back problems. And so I'd started Iyengar yoga from at 21 and it had been my safe space throughout my entire 20s. So I felt like a connection to it. So I decided to book this yoga teacher training course in April 2018. But of course, once I booked that, what happened was I thought, great, well, I'm just going to go hell for leather, you know, just get as fucked up as possible, eat as much as possible, because I'm going to have this month where I'm so healthy. And that was always the cycle. If I knew I was going to be healthy for a bit, I would just absolutely binge before. So kind of spiraled, got to Thailand and had a month where there was obviously no access to drugs, alcohol, cigarettes. I wasn't eating meat. It was like, you know, meditating for hours a day, 200 hours of yoga. And I thought, great, this is it. This is going to be the moment that changes me. So, and I remember it was really hard. I mean, it was deeply painful. You know, a lot of pain was coming up in that trip. And I landed back in London and when I landed, a friend of mine called me and said, I'm going to this art gallery opening tonight. Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, great. So she goes, meet me at my hotel. And so I meet her at her hotel at 4 p.m. And she pulls out a bag of Coke and goes, do you want a line? And I was like, oh, yeah, go on then. And then I was straight back. And then we went to this dinner. And then I went to an after party. And then I carried on going on my own all day. Went for lunch with a friend who had no idea I was still high went out for dinner with her, went out to a club, went home with somebody. And then 48 hours later, kind of woke up after this two-day bender and just felt utter hopelessness and shame and disgust. And even now thinking about it, I'm like, oh, like it gives me like such a horrible feeling, the thought of me just at home on my own, like, oh, it really gives me the shivers. 
And I, I, and then, and what happened actually was then that week, I remember I'd kind of recovered from it and then gone to a friend's house to watch the royal wedding. And everybody was there sober. And I was just on my own in the bathroom doing coke all day. So I was at that point at rock bottom. I was like, I just, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I called a friend of mine and she said, you should listen to this podcast on manifesting. And so I listened to it and, you know, a few weeks later met Wade on, you know, he sent me a message on the 7th of June, 2018. And on the 7th of June, 2019, our baby boy was born. And it wasn't definitely like that year, you know, between meeting Wade and Wolf being born was definitely not an easy one. It was probably the hardest year of my life um, mentally, but it was the catalyst for all the change that was to come. Yeah. Why was it the hardest year? Um, I went into really bad depression. So what happened was when I found out I was pregnant, I hadn't I hadn't given up I had drugs at that point. When I first met Wade, I was like, you know, delving into self-development, but still was had was still doing drugs in the bathroom on my own on our dates. And then I found out I was two months pregnant and I'd only known Wade for three months. And I had no money. He had no money. I just moved into a smaller apartment. I had, I did like three car boot sales to sell all my things. I was pregnant with a man I didn't know. And I suddenly had to give up all my addiction. And so 28 years of pain came flooding in. And I gained 30 kilos, like five stone. I stopped leaving the house. I was comfort eating. Every day was a struggle to be alive. It was the hardest time of my life. I would never wish that it was, I felt like I was in a mental prison. It was so fucking awful. And, but what I was doing in that time was I kept visualizing what would happen when Wolf was born. And I was like, the day I give birth to this boy, I am going to make my life the best it can be. And I'm going to become the best version of myself that has ever existed. And I'm going to turn my life around. And that pain was like fuel for me. Mm. It was like, I just was so determined. Um, And by the time Wolfie was five months old, I hosted my first workshop and and my career began. That is just unbelievable. And I'm so sorry you went through such a rough time. And the way you describe that pain, like it feels so visceral that you can just tell that it is so deeply, you know, still kind of, um, you know, within you. And um, I think that it's a really interesting thing that holds that whole section, because I didn't actually know that. I didn't know any of that. You know, I tried I tried to do as much research in you as I can, but I didn't <laughs> know about that section. And that really was like a bit of a gut-wrenching moment for me when I was like, wow, you know, like we can carry around so much pain with us. And we look to moments like meeting the love of our life and falling pregnant and all these things as being such joyful moments. But it's it's actually really refreshing to hear someone who's saying it was the most it was the most difficult point of my life. And um, you know, talking about comfort eating, which which is again still is such a huge taboo. I mean, we've spoken a little bit about it on this podcast, you know, binge eating and comfort eating. Um, speaking about loneliness as well, again, like a huge taboo. Like we're all supposed to have loads of friends, right? And be girl bosses and, you know, do all the things. But but I think it's just it it really brings it home how um 
debilitating these things can be. And I guess my question is more, you know, you come out of um, your pregnancy and you have your son, which is which is amazing. And, and you make this promise to yourself. But you know, that's also a really difficult time. Having a child is is a huge upheaval. So how do you navigate, I guess, rebuilding your life from day one and being a mother and I guess starting all of this, you know, within that space of time, what was the click? What was the thing in your head that just was like, I can do this basically. That, that's what I'm interested in. It's it's not the, I'm going to do this because I think a lot of us can have that will and incentive to be like, oh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to start something. It's more the self-belief I can do this, where you haven't had that self-belief up to that point for the last, you know, like you said, the last 28 years. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. I think that during the pregnancy, I had been doing a lot of reading and because I had just discovered manifesting I was really immersing myself in self-development so I was like priming my brain for it and I was doing a lot of visualization and I was I had now begun my own manifesting practice and so actually and because the pregnancy was so hard and I felt so out of control um when I gave birth actually I felt a million times better and I was just I was actually so excited and ready and I didn't want to waste a day I was like I have wasted 28 fucking years of my life being sad I will not waste one more day like I have to just move forward and so I think for me it came it, it did actually come naturally. And I think that I've lacked confidence in so many areas of my life, but, and I, and I'd hope I don't want to make anyone feel bad by me saying this, but being a mother came really naturally to me. And it's, it's still now the place I feel I am the most confident. That is where I am my best self. Like he brings out this, you know, unbelievable patience and softness in me. I mean, I've, I, there's such a gentleness in the way I am with him and femininity and kind of nurturing, which I don't get at, at work, let's say, because it's such a different energy that you have to bring. And so actually the counterbalance of this like real energy and drive for work and growth and, you know, spreading my message with the balance of this real softness and patience was so perfect for me. Um, so it really like fit together actually really mm. well. And, and also, by the way, you know, I had Wade, who's an amazing dad, who was very supportive and allowed me the space to grow as yeah. I was still, a, you know, a new mom. Yeah. So let's go into it then with the manifestation because we sort of danced around the subject a little bit. And I think, you know, it's interesting to actually really dial down into what it is. What do we mean by manifestation? You're obviously a, a, a massive expert in this space. So when you describe manifestation and visualization, what do we actually mean by those things and what's your interpretation of it? So to manifest literally means to make it happen. And manifesting is using the power of your mind to create, to change and create your reality. And to me, it is a self-development practice. So my book, Manifest Seven Steps Living Your Best Life, really is a sort of life guide. And these seven steps are steps that you live and breathe. You don't dip in and out. 
Um, and manifesting has a lot of misconceptions. You know, a lot of people think it's just about visualization or it's wishful thinking or, you know, it's a bit woo. Uh, but actually, it's none of those things. This is a very practical um you know, philosophy really that kind of is, is been around for centuries. And my seven steps are based around self-belief, gratitude, taking action, being proactive, stepping outside your comfort zone. It's kind of, I always say like, if you're a skeptic, definitely read my book because it's so straight talking. There's no fluff. Um, and you really get an understanding of how to use this incredibly life-changing, transformative and powerful practice to, to benefit you. And I think so many of us now are looking for those answers, aren't we? If you look at the boom in self-development books, self-help books, um, it feels like we are um, craving that sense of being better humans. I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but being happier, healthier, better humans. And I think there's something about the manifestation, which for me really rings true. You know, I'm like a huge fan of yours and, and everything you do. And I think the reason why is that it just feels so applicable to me. It, it, Like you said, it cuts the fluff and the, I guess, more complicated and sometimes a bit far-fetched practices. And it just distills it down into something that feels really applicable to my life and where I am. And the other thing that I think is incredibly real and you know, genuine about you is how honest you are about it being a constant journey. Um, you know, I think that when I look to other people in the self-development space, it can often feel a little bit daunting that someone's like, I did this and now I've made it and I'm totally here. And, you know, you know, there's a bit of a kind of um, you know, facade that goes with it, but I really relate to your openness about still having, you know, for example, a very strong inner critic and having difficult days and being very honest about when things aren't great. And I love this idea that with you and with manifestation and, you know, all of the things that you talk about, it's very much a journey. It's a, this is an everyday thing for the rest of your life. And sometimes it's going to be great. And sometimes it's not going to be so great. And I kind of would love to understand about how that's important to your brand and who you are. Well, thank you so much for saying that because I would, you know, I definitely was something when, you know, 2022 was just fucking nuts and everything got so big so quickly. And suddenly, you know, hundreds of thousands of people had read this book and I was obviously, still, you know, I'm still on the journey and I wasn't sure whether... I, and I've always been so honest and open. And also it's just me as a person. Like if you meet me, you know exactly how I feel about you in five minutes. Like I'm very straight. Like I'm, there's just like no bullshit. But I suddenly panicked because I was like, well, people are looking to me to like guide them, let's say, or, you know, inspire them. And if I am really honest and say that I'm having a really shit day or things are hard, like are they going to panic that manifesting isn't working or something like that and I was like well no because I have to stay authentic to who I am and this is my journey I don't have all the answers but I do know that manifesting is a life practice and that means that your life is still going to ebb and flow it's not perfect all the time but even during my darker days or times when I'm still having challenges my bounce back is fucking phenomenal right like I know exactly how to bounce back I know what tools to use 
I know how to use those experiences to propel me to the next level and to get me closer to where I'm going to go. I'm able to use them as learnings to heal more, to come back to my more authentic self or to my most empowered self. Um, And this is the reality of life and healing and journey. And there's no way I could have had the life I've had and then all of a sudden be 100% healed. It's not, it would not be possible. I still have so much trauma to work through. Um, But my God, every six months, I feel like I am, every day, I feel like a new person. Every week. I mean, I always, I say that line in the book, with each sunrise, we rise into someone new. You know, we're always growing. And I'm, uh, one thing I feel proud of is for myself and anybody else that's on the journey is a commitment to growth. Like I'm genuinely committed to being better, a better person and being happier and more content. And, you know, it's a, it's a great journey to be on. And just on that point, and one thing I'm really interested in is, you know, you, you've mentioned the word shame quite a lot early on. And I wondered if there's a part of your journey that's also been about forgiveness to your inner child, to your younger self, to the, the Roxy that you were even a year ago, you know? Um, there's an element of forgiving yourself and losing shame for doing things that you just, you know, you did in the moment and, and were completely part of making who you are. You know, I know that there's certainly aspects of my life that, you know, in through, through therapy, thankfully, like I've realized that stuff's not my fault, that I don't have to go through life carrying all of this guilt and blame. And as much as that's a really hard lesson to learn, I wondered where forgiveness and, you know, releasing of shame fits into um you know how you've healed yourself yeah I mean I think forgiveness and is and I think I touch on it in in the book both manifest and dive deeper but forgiveness I mean is key because when we're, we're holding on to those feelings of guilt you know we're co- constantly holding ourselves back from being um you know the most confident we can be and energetically it's holding us back and I think that I would say for me I found the forgiveness part of part of it happened quickly for me. Like I never, I didn't, I felt, I felt really able to actually not judge my past. You know, there's all the stupid things I did when I was younger and the way I abused myself and, you know, all of that. I think I was able to forgive, but I think that the deep but the deep rooted beliefs that I have that I was not worthy were a lot lot harder to undo now parts of them like I think everybody listening will definitely recognize you have parts of your life where you feel more confident than others so you might feel confident at work we're not confident in this area and you know there were still strings and parts of my life where I was just feeling very like held down by these deep deep rooted beliefs and that's been kind of the bit I'm still untying yeah and 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 like it's so much work years of work and you know that's why I love this kind of like whole process one of the things I you know you mentioned about this kind of really explosive growth and um you know I feel like I can maybe relate to that to a certain extent early on in my career and this feeling of almost now being on a bit of a pedestal um and kind of having a lot of expectation on your shoulders, I guess. You know, you release this hugely successful book. You then have to deliver a follow-up book to that. And then it's almost like keeping the pace of continuing that that journey of growth. Um, 
from a business perspective, I'm really interested in how you deal with that because I know that it's something that I've really struggled with. It's almost like keeping the momentum of success going and um, I guess trying to not hold yourself to the to the parameters of what you know people might think that you should be doing or you know whatever I think that's that's a really interesting thing that I'd love to hear your take on I agree with you I've always been fascinated by people that have really rapid growth and then what do you do afterwards or how does it feel afterwards because I do think and I don't know if you found this but you're on such a roller coaster that you're not taking any of it in or seeing what's happened and people say it to you they'll be like oh my god you're doing so well or you know oh my gosh like everything's so great and you're like oh my god what like and then for me I would say this summer was the first time I really had to like step away from work a bit I was really really burnt out and had kept burning out and was just not like I didn't feel well Um, and so I had this period of like slow down and yeah, I definitely felt like, oh my God, now I'm irrelevant and nobody cares. And, but then also being like, that doesn't like try to remember that that's just my ego and actually it doesn't matter. And, you know, nobody can be, it can never be your first time forever. I think with anything, with that initial growth, there's such a novelty to it all. Everything is exciting. Um, and everything feels new and everything's the first time. It's the first time you got an interview, the first time you're, you know, got a client, the first time you got hit this or everything is a first. It's like all this excitement and, and internally that feels really good. And so you want to keep that up, but it's actually not possible because you can't do the first every time. So then actually I think it's about changing your definition of what success feels like and actually sinking into this more like present, calm, you know, stable energy and refocusing. So for me, it's about refocusing on balance and life. And, you know, I'm definitely trying to figure out what's next. I don't think I can talk about manifesting for the rest of my life. So, you know, what is next? But I feel like it will just come to me when the time is right. And that's the thing is that like you can really shift your mindset to be an abundant mindset or, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of restrictive mindset. And I think I have had big periods of my career where I've had this complete crisis of confidence and been like, oh, my God, what am I going to do next? Like, I'm a complete fraud. Nobody likes me anymore. Like, you know, all these things. And I can also have moments where I'm very confident in the fact that if I just stay true to my authentic voice, Mm. then I'll be fine. And I think that, you know, when I have moments where I have wobbles and, uh, you know, you might lose followers, which my God, it's just such a ridiculous thing to get hit up on, but you do like it's, it it feels like a personal attack, like whether you like it or not, you know, someone unfollows you and you're like, but why, what have I done? And almost like I'm such a, I'm such an emotional being that I want to like almost message every single person and be like, why don't you like me? So it's such a, it's such a weird thing to get your head around having a business that is you because everything is personal exactly you owned a business that was a different brand you wouldn't have that same emotional like fear around everything that happened if you lost a client if people unfollowed the brand it wouldn't feel personal so it's definitely a very triggering experience that you have to really be able to be like just aware of 
one thing I've done on my team that I think would, would be so good and we started it a couple of weeks ago because I had that exact same thing. I was just, I was in a bit of a scarcity mindset, which I never am at work. I, I have such an abundant mindset, but I was just, I had, I slipped into this after summer. It'd been quiet. I wasn't feeling like I was like vibing and I got like, started getting a few rejections and I was like, okay, this is, because I feel I manifest both ways. If I'm in a bad mindset, shit goes wrong. And if I'm feeling good, it all aligns. So I had a few rejections and I was like, I need to change this. So I did a positivity journal, but as a team, after every day of work, so we would get together and write down every good thing that happened at work. So all the good conversations, all the things. And I swear within a week, things just started aligning again. So I highly recommend like getting your team together at the end of every day. Okay, quickly, let's run through every good thing that happened today. Write it down. It's so powerful. That's such a good idea. I love that. And I think that, you know, like it is, it is, um, you're absolutely right. It can feel like a very personal attack. And, uh, you know, there's so much emotion het up in, you know, my business and, and, and what we do. And I think that it's, um, it's great to hear other people that are going through a similar thing and, you know, how you navigate that. And I think I love that idea um, because, yeah, it can it can have its its challenging moments. Uh, now, look, one of the things you mentioned is becoming a mom, um, and I think that you know, in your own words, as you said, it's been one of the best things that's happened to you and, and really shaped who you are. Um, you are releasing a book for kids, so tell me how manifestation fits in with children. Um, what can we expect from the next book? So manifesting is a self-development practice. And I thought, you know, when I brought out the, I had the idea for manifest for kids, I would say my soul was set on fire. I absolutely knew. I feel this is the most important book I've written, like for sure. And this book is not about teaching kids that they can like wish for a unicorn it's going to happen like it's not they're not going to learn to just like think that they can wish for whatever they want this is actually about equipping them with all the best self-development tools so that they can help themselves throughout life um so i split manifesting for kids into four steps step one is understanding emotions and i give them toolboxes to deal with guilt sadness fear anger worry within each um emotion i give them a toolbox so this is like self-validation so just it's teaching them to be aware of their emotions how to express it safely um things like affirmations meditation breath work really simple little tools that they can use and get really acquainted with uh, the second step is self-belief, of course. I mean, the earlier we can do these practices, the better. Um, the third one is gratitude. And this is really teaching kids how to adopt that positive mindset from early on. It's something that I've been doing with Wolf since he can communicate and it's 100% impacted him. Um, and then the fourth step is goal setting. And this is more around visualization, how to set goals, um, even how teaching them how to do make mini vision boards, um, persisting, you know, when things get hard. So it's a really sort of full practice, but really easy for them to read. I wrote it really, obviously, in a really kid-friendly tone. There's an eight-week journal at the back for them to fill in every day as well. And yeah, I'm genuinely so proud of this book. And isn't that where it should start? You know, like we've talked a lot about, you know, at the start of our conversation about how childhoods can really shape who you become as a person. And I think that if we can start some of those practices young and even just create emotionally intelligent kids, you know, those kids that are in touch with 
their emotions, able to communicate effectively, able to understand, you know, some of those concepts that we can only come to, you know, that I'm only coming to much later in life. I think that's a really incredible place to start it. So I'm so excited for that. And look, even looking forwards, I'm sure, you know, obviously you've got that book coming out, but, um, you know, speaking of kind of the momentum of your career, are there things coming up that you're really excited for? What does the future look like for you and, and for Manifest? Oh, well, I'm launching Manifest Dive Deeper, the second book in America in January, although it's being renamed to Manifest in Action. So that uh, it's always exciting to go over to the US. Um, but I don't know what's next. I really, this is what I'm trying to work out. My team's just expanded, you know, so this month so we're five of us now. Um, just trying to trying to figure out what is next. I'd really love, I really want my own brand that's not me. I just need to figure out what that is. <laughs> Speak it into but existence. <laughs> I, I, it's out there and the idea will come to me, you know, mm. from the universe. <laughs> Oh, Roxy, thank you so much. Look, I think your journey through, you know, some really tricky, but incredibly relatable stuff is amazing. And I know for one, I have really found that your approach to manifestation to being just so genuine and real with an honest journey of finding oneself and of coming out the other side of a dark and difficult patch to be so inspiring. And um, yeah, I highly recommend giving the book a read, by the way, if you haven't read it already. Um, But thank you so much for your time today. It's been so great to chat and to hear your perspectives. And um, yeah, I really look forward to seeing the new book. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, lovely. It's been so nice to chat. Thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed that episode i would love it if you could take some time to rate review and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it we have a new episode dropping every week so it'll ensure that you don't miss out and one really exciting new feature is that i would love to solve your problems our podcast is centered around giving people strength and resilience and so if you have a question a problem or anything else you can send a message or a voice note to gms at insanityhq.com that's gms at insanityhq.com and me and my guest will spend a little bit of time at the end of every podcast answering your questions see you next time insanity group